0: Thanks for listening to one of the audio messages from Cornerstone Church Airdrie. My name is Brad and I'm the lead campus pastor and primary preaching voice here at Cornerstone Church Airdrie. We believe that the God who spoke so clearly all through the pages of Scripture is still speaking to His kids today. So if it's me who's speaking to you or someone else on this recording, as you listen, we pray that you would know God, know His hope, know His purpose, and know His power. Enjoy the message. You got a handle with care. I don't like anyone here. Making a living off singing. It's not even fair when the image I show them is not even real. What's wrong with me? I don't even get along with me. Got more money than Today, we are going to break down one of the most famous verses in all of Scripture to see what it would teach us about our our topic that we're going to explore today. And so if you'd like to, you can turn to John chapter 3 this morning. That's where we're going to spend our time. If you're new with us or if you haven't been here for a while, over the last six weeks or so, we have been exploring who God is. We have begun exploring who God the Father is To us, and so we've been looking at different attributes of God up until today, and we're going to look at one this week and one next week, and then we're going to to retire our servant or retire, retire that series, not because we've explored all that there is to know about God. But because that's how long we're going to spend on this, and then we're going to move on, on to some other things. And, but, but we've explored these different topics. But at the very beginning of our time, at the very beginning of this series, well, the foundational thing that we said we needed to know to understand where we're going to go is that we needed to understand that God's not like us that when we talk about God the Father, we're not just talking about somebody who's superhuman or somebody who's just like a better version of you or a better better version of me, but that he's really different. And on some of the things that we've talked about, we've been able to really see and encapsulate. That is, we talked about God's holiness. We, we can really reconcile and understand that we, we are not holy. And so when we talk about God's holiness... We can understand God is different. Now, God makes us holy, but in and of ourselves, we're not. Or as we talk about God's justice, or as we talk about these God's all these different characteristics that we've explored, we can see yes, I can understand that that that's different from me. Now, the one that we're going to talk about this morning is one of the places that we can perhaps fall into the trap of thinking that we can understand God. In human terms, through this, when in fact he, he's very different. 1 John 4 tells us the attribute that we're going to talk about today when it says, And so we know and rely on the love of God for us, God is love. This morning, what we're going to talk about is that God isn't loving. God doesn't have a quotient of love. He isn't capable of large amounts of love. God isn't loving. God is love. That, that love is not just a verb that we use to describe God, but the definition of love is God. To say that God is loving is to have it backwards. Loving is God. God. That that when we to, to understand what God is, to understand who God is, we need to understand that love isn't just something that God does, but love is something that God is. Love is who God is, it is what He is, it's more than just a disposition or a quality. It is what makes up God. And as people, this this is something that we can get confused because we use the word love for so many different things. And sometimes it can give us a false sense of security that we really know what it means. Because we will use it so frequently. What are we having for dinner tonight, huh? Oh, we're having tacos. Oh, I love tacos. And then after that, we're going to have ice cream. Oh, I love ice cream. And, And I look at my kids and I say, oh, I love my kids. But I don't love them like I love tacos. And I look at my wife and I say, I love my wife. But I don't love my wife the way that I love tacos. And I don't love my wife the way that I love my kids. It's different. And I love you. And I don't love you the way that I love tacos. And I don't love you the way that I love my kids. And I don't love you the way that I love my wife. I love you differently. That we'll use the word love to describe so many things. That sometimes when we talk about God as love, we can settle and go, I know what that one means. I know, I understand love. And as people, we are completely wired to be conditional. Everything that we pretty well do, every relationship that you, we have, when you boil it down far enough, is conditional. I've told this before, but some of you are new, so you've never heard it before. Um, but it's a funny story. So, um, But when Yvonne and I were... were in our free marital counseling, we, we took a, a test and it was determined sort of as, as it asked like a thousand questions or it was probably less than that. But of, of like all of our thoughts and all of these different things and then it analyzed our answers and like came up with spots that could be like potential tension points. Inside of our marriage, that she thinks this way, and I think this way, and so you may want to have a chat about this because it may be a, a place of struggle. And so one of the things, one of the questions on on the, the the test, I guess, was was could your spouse ever do something that would cause you not to love her? And I answered, yes, absolutely, she could do something that would cause me not to love her. Now her and her infinite grace and her love, and her belief, and he said, no, he would never do anything. And, and I believed that about her, I don't believe that she ever would, but the question wasn't, would she? The question was, could she? I thought, that's right, she could kill my kids. Like, and then I wouldn't feel the same, I wouldn't be like, oh, honey, I love you. Like, there are things, now, now our, our marriage is not highly conditional. But if you boil it down far enough, if you, if you keep stripping away layers and layers and layers and layers, essentially every relationship that we have, if it boils down to could they, the answer eventually, if you keep asking bigger and bigger questions, is yes. And we're wired to think and believe and understand that our relationships, and inside of our relationships, when I'm doing and being good, I'm deserving of love and credit. And when others stop or start doing and being good, they are deserving of love and credit. And if I stop doing those things, or someone else stops doing them, then love and credit need to be pulled back. They're, they're no longer deserved. And in lots of ways, actually, this isn't a bad thing. It allows us to have healthy boundaries inside of our relationships. It allows us to be able to look and go, you know, this person is not treating me the way that I should. You know, this is not a healthy relationship. And to be able to have those kinds of boundaries, it's actually not a bad thing. But as followers of Jesus, it can be really difficult... And we can struggle with taking this thing that is essentially true in all of our relationships, a thing that's universally true to some degree in every relationship that we have, and not applying it to our relationship with God. That somehow, placing it on our relationship with our Heavenly Father, that when I'm doing and being good, then I'm deserving of love and credit from my Heavenly Father. And if I stop doing those things, Then his love for me changes. It's hard for us to not take what we know to be true and place it on God. But if we want to discover what God looks like, we turn to his word. And I want to turn to what is undoubtedly the most famous verse in the Bible. But I believe that there are some things that we can, can take out of this verse About how much God loves us. And and this morning I want to to give you a four part picture of what God's love looks like. The verse of course is John 3.16. And if if you don't know that verse it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And sort of like we did last week, we're gonna, when it was with First Peter, this week we're going we're gonna to move through that verse chunk by chunk, and you're going to be invited to take notes or make notes if you'd like to do that, or if you just want to listen, you're welcome to do that as well. But I want to outline you four characteristics of God's love as we break this verse down a little bit. The first part of that verse says, for God so loved the world. And what I want to highlight for you this morning about God's love is that God's love Is intimate. When God thinks about you. When your name and picture. Comes up on the grand server of heaven. When God thinks about you. When God is reminded of you. When he sees your name. He's filled with love. And he goes. That one. I love that one. I love him. I love her. So many people can have this picture of God as cold and distant, arms crossed, sort of judge, jury, and executioner. (laughs) That, That God can be distant, but God wants to be in relationship with you. God wants to be your friend. He wants to talk to you. He wants to dream dreams with you. He wants to be your very best friend. But sometimes... We can have this picture of God that he's like an energy. Or he's like the force in Star Wars. Or he, he's some kind of this distant thing that is, that that we can come close to, that we can sort of approach, but really it's it's not us. In Star Wars they'll say use the force. It, it, We sometimes, well, I can use God, but there's not necessarily this this close, connected, God isn't just this extracurricular, outside, disconnected, distant thing that exists, but God is connected to us, to our lives, to you as a person, to you as an individual. You see, God loves people. Sometimes when we read a verse like, for God so loved the world, it can be easy for us to hide in that. To to be able to say or think in terms of like, well, the collective good of all humanity allows God to love it. That God loved the world, and so when you took all of us and you added it up together, we were all eventually available or able to be loved. But it's not that God loves just persons. God loves you as a person. He is close to you as a person. The Bible talk about we'll talk about it like this. God's love and intention with you extends to a place that if we if someone was to be like God is to us, we would say that they're struggling with obsessive compulsive disorder. The Bible will tell us, Scripture will say, that God knows the number of hairs on your head. Now, I don't know, it's certainly not a first date conversation. And I don't know which date conversation it would be to reveal to your boyfriend or your girlfriend, I love you so much I want to count the hairs on your head. (laughs) That I think that would be a gigantic red flag inside of a relationship. (laughs) That you'd say, hold on. (laughs) No. Now, now, of course, for some of us, it's not a long time. So if Yvonne wanted to count, it might not take so long. <laughs> but years ago, when we started dating, there was a lot more of it up here. I'm not saying there's a connection. I'm just telling you facts. <laughs> but Scripture will say that God knows that when it comes to you as a person, it's not just that God's aware of your existence. It's not just that... God is cognizantly aware that you exist. And he kind of knows what you like and what you don't like. God knows you better than anyone could ever even attempt to know you. He knows you on a deeper level than anyone could ever attempt to know you. When you have sorrow, when you've been betrayed, when you're crying, when you're hurting, when you are depressed. When you feel like you're just the most unlovable, worthless person. God's heart is breaking with yours. He sits with you. He loves you. When one of Jesus' closest friends, Lazarus, died, and Jesus encounters his sisters, Mary and Martha, and they are hurting. They are crying. They're angry with Jesus. They're angry with the situation. Their heart is broken. Their brother has died. Jesus doesn't stay distant from them. He doesn't condemn them. He doesn't reprimand them for their lack of faith. In this moment where they're broken and they're upset, and they're even accusatory towards Jesus, saying, if you had been here, he wouldn't die. Jesus doesn't say, woe to you of little faith. Give me five minutes. That's not his heart to them at all. But instead, he comes close to them, and he cries right alongside of them. And he does the same with us. And he does the same for you. He doesn't remain distant and uncaring and at arm's length away from you. But the Bible will say that we have a Savior who's well acquainted with the things that we go through. His love is intimate. He cries with us. He celebrates with us. He's not some impersonal force. He's not merely some moral arbitrator. But he cares for you. For God so loved you. Not just the world. He loved the world, but he loved the world and you and me and everyone in it. That he looks at you and he said, That's somebody worth dying for. He loves you, his love is intimate. <laughs> the next part of the verse, it, in John 3:16, says. That he gave his one and only son. The next thing that you need to know about God's love is that God's love is sacrificial. One of the problems for us in understanding love, and we talked about it a little bit this morning, and and how God's love fits and it all works together, is that we've used this word love for so many things. And because the word word love can be so wrapped up in emotions and romance and sexuality, there's an aspect of the way that we use that word love in those contexts that make it applicable. But fundamentally, love is a disposition or a choice that wants the other person's best, no matter the cost. It is a selflessness, a longing for someone else's best. And to give us a clear picture of, of the sacrificial love for Jesus. Of his love for you and his, his wanting for the best for you no matter the cost. We, we can turn to Jesus' death on the cross. And I want to I ch- say something to you now that, that may be challenging for you to understand. But hopefully as I unpack it you'll understand it. But emotionally... Jesus didn't want to die on the cross. (laughs) Emotionally, we read about this in Matthew and in Luke. When Jesus prays in the garden. He was anxious. He was overwhelmed. He he asked his disciples, can you stay up praying for me and and praying for you? And he prays himself. And, And when he prays, he says, Father, if it's possible... May this cup be taken from me. Father, if, if it's possible for us to do this in any other way, God, God, can, can, Father, can we do that? God, if, if I don't have to do this, if there's another way, God, what, whatever that other way is, can, can, we do, can we do that? As a father, I can't imagine the breaking heart that you would have Just knowing that your child was going to go through beatings and torture and pain, ridicule and death for nothing that they had done. On Friday, um, or it would have been Thursday, Yvonne called me. Um, Owen, my, my oldest son, had been working on a project at school and he had poured his little heart into this. With a couple of his buddies, and it got wrecked. And he was in tears. And he just came out of school, and Yvonne was picking him up, and he was just bawling. And he couldn't even talk about what had happened and, and until he got home, and Yvonne got home and was able to, to find out what had happened. And, and it, he, he didn't know what had happened, but his project had gotten wrecked. And she was upset, and she called me, and I was upset. And he built a teepee out of paper and sticks. But my father's heart for my son was broken because the poor little guy was in pain. And it was just a little social studies project. (laughs) But as a father looking into your son's eyes, as your son is pleading with you, is there another way that we can do this? As a father looking into the eyes of your child and saying, I'm sorry, son. This is the way it has to be. And we can see where Jesus is at again in Luke twenty-two forty-four, where it says being in Agony. Jesus is in agony. He prayed more earnestly and says, then sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. This is there's a clinical term for this and a word I can probably not pronounce, but it's hemothrodrisis. or something. <laughs> Around the sweat glands, there are multiple blood vessels that form a neck. Like form, and under pressure of great stress, the vessels constrict. And as that anxiety passes, the blood vessels dilate to the point of rupture. And the blood goes into the sweat glands. And as the sweat glands are producing a lot of sweat, it pushes blood to the surface, coming out as droplets of blood mixed with sweat. It's a real thing that happens, it's not just a metaphor that the Bible gives us, it's a real stress. Jesus knew what he was going to face. He knew what he was going to have to suffer and endure. And he knew that the wheels were in motion and that the next hours were going to be unlike anyone had ever experienced before or would experience after. Jesus knew what was coming. And it was such anguish and stress and difficulty that his blood vessels were beginning to burst. Sometimes when we think of the cross and we think of Jesus, we can almost think like he was kind of cool with it. Hmm. That, like, well, he knew, he's God. Yeah, it was probably fairly unpleasant. But ultimately, he went for it. But it was real, it was hard. And on a basic level, God's son comes to him and says, God, if there's any other way, can we do this? To God, what, what is coming? I don't know if I can face this. God, is there another way to do this? But God's love is sacrificial, and He chose. To die in your place and in mine. The sacrificial love of God for us, for you. In the face of is there another way. Jesus continued to pray. Yet not as I will. But as you will. The sacrificial love of God for you. Is this incredible picture of Jesus coming to this place. Where he's got a choice between what he Wants and what he knows he needs to do for each one of us. And he says, God, if there's any other way, can we do that? But if not, let's go. If not, let's, let's walk this road. John 3.16 continues, that whoever, or that whosoever, if, you, if you've had it memorized for a long time, God's love is unconditional. There's an old saying that says It's level ground at the foot of the cross That when we come before God Each and every one of us Is invited to be there And no one Is excluded And this is such a foreign idea Again to us Because literally nothing else works like this Certainly our lives Don't work that way We are always sizing ourselves up and our situations up and seeing how we compare to everyone else. We're conditioned to see our world this way. As you are what you do or you are how people see you. And you can be deserving of love if you look the right way. You can be deserving of love if you present yourself in a way that people would look and go, that's somebody who deserves of love. You can be deserving of love if you present yourself like this on social media, or you can be deserving of love if you have this many likes or this many followers, or if each post is getting more and more and more and my social media presence is growing, or you can be loved if you own this, or you can be loved if your kids are like this, if your kids are on the honor roll, or if your kids made the traveling team, or if your kids dress better than you do. You can be loved if you present yourself. You can be loved if you're athletic. Or you can be loved if you're musical. You can be loved if, 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 when, when, when. And this happens because deep down, we've confused how we're perceived with who we really are. That we've confused how we believe other people to see us and who we actually are—that—that that who who we are becomes made up of what pe- what we think people think about us. And that's how. And so, in order for us to improve who we are, we must then improve how people think about us. <coughs> but God says to us, "I love you if you're having a great day. And I love you when you blow it. I love you when your social media presence is terrible. I love you if your kids turn down and make all the right decisions. And I love you if your kids have addictions. And I love you if your kids are walking away from me. If their lives are falling apart and you feel like you failed as a parent, I still love you. And I still love them. Because God loves you for you. Just for who you are, totally disconnected from your performance and your accomplishments. Scripture will say that while we were yet sinners, while we had no performance, while we had no accomplishments, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us because of his love for you. And this matters because if we can ever get this to go from our heads to our hearts, you'll start to care less about what other people think. It can be like an antidote to some of our anxieties and social stresses, your, your drivenness or your workaholism, trying to balance all this guilt and what you ought to do with your life. A lot of this will just melt away and we're going to be able to see what really matters. And what we're going to discover when we see what really matters is that that's a very few things that actually really matter. Because as we allow God's love to really fill us up unconditionally, all the approval and all the purpose and the meaning and the acceptance and the love that we're looking for from all of this other stuff in life, we find that we find all of that inside God's love. That as we try to live a life of, of finding a way for people to look and go, you've got it all together. I want to be like you. Can you show me how you live your life like that? that that's, we strive and then we discover in the love of God that that's not what really matters. But that we have a God who loves us. In the last part of the verse today, whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God's love is boundless. It's infinite. You know what struck me as I was preparing this week? It says that we we'll won't perish but have eternal life. Eternal life. It's a commitment. It's, it's a promise. God is tying himself to us. And to you. Forever. There isn't a little asterisk after eternal that says that terms and conditions may apply. Have you ever had something with a lifetime warranty on it? (laughs) And, And then you discover that that lifetime was only for the lifetime of while it was working? That it wasn't your lifetime. We, we, we were at, at Lowe's a couple of weeks ago, and we just happened to be walking past the, the washers and dryers, and we've been talking around the idea of improving our washer and dryer situation at home, and there was a, a salesman there who, who was very chatty, and so he showed us all of the different washers and dryers. But, but one of them said lifetime warranty on it, and I said, wow, lifetime warranty? then he said, well, it doesn't include this and this and this and this and this. and this. It only really included this one part. Lifetime warranty. Eternal life. That we When God said, Whosoever believes in me shall not perish but have eternal life, there's no asterisks. There's no terms and conditions. It's not... You can come and be with me until I just can't stand you anymore and then you gotta go for a (laughs) while. It's not somehow that there's a condition on the eternal. God's love for you is so great that he is saying that I am confident that I can spend all eternity with you and I'm going to be able to love you that whole way. Psalm 136 gives us this incredible picture of God's boundless love. Verse 1 says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. It endures forever. Steadfast endure. These are solid words that give us a different kind of grounding in a world full of relativity and change. That there's not much in this world that is steadfast. There's not much in this world that endures, but God's love is steadfast and it endures. Stead- enduring, steadfast love flows out of the immutable, changeless nature of God. And as Psalm 136 recounts God's greatness, it becomes this amazing description of praise for God's mighty acts and goodness. Each of the 26 verses in this chapter ends with the response for his steadfast love endures forever. Every declaration and every verse provides a concrete example of God's boundless love. The repetition of this one phrase gives us this picture and understanding of the strength and permanence of God's love. Something happens in my heart when I read this psalm. Each time, his steadfast love endures forever, rings in my brain and penetrates deeper and deeper. Layers of truth grow, solidifying my resolve in the hope and the confidence that God's love brings. God's steadfast love endures in my fickleness. It persists through my unbelief. It remains during my rebellion, and it continues endlessly. And God does this again and again. He does all of this without flinching. God's love for us is fixed, firm, and constant. Continues to exist regardless of our feelings, our responses to Him, or our circumstances. We can count on the steadfast, endless, infinite, boundless love of God. That it will never come to an end. If you're here today and you have an inkling that I don't think God could love me. I am into stuff. I have addictions. I've used people. I'm making bad choices. I'm so far from God. Today God is inviting you to come and just experience the love of God the Father. Scripture will see, taste and see that the Lord is good. And he's inviting you today, if you doubt the love of God for you, to just come and have a taste. Just come and see and you'll discover the steadfast, boundless love of God. The Father's love. Come and receive the love of God. God is calling to you and he loves you. You don't have to earn it. He wants to forgive you. He cares for you just as you are. Here,
1: as you surround my heart.
0: Thanks again for listening to one of the audio messages from Cornerstone Church Airdrie. I pray that you were blessed by what God had to say in this message. If you would like to connect further with Cornerstone Church, there are a couple places you can go. First is our website, cornerstonefoursquarechurch.com and select the Airdrie campus. And some of the best ways to connect with us is through our social media channels. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Follow us on Twitter at CS and on Instagram at Cornerstone Erdry. If you'd like to connect with the pastoral team at Cornerstone, you can do that again through our website, cornerstonefoursquarechurch.com. Click on the Airdrie campus, then click on the About Us on the main menu, and then one last click on Our Campus Pastors. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and get new messages delivered directly to you. We are so thankful to be able to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ with our community in Airdrie and with you today. At Cornerstone Church Airdrie, we are a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. And that family includes you. We follow Jesus together as family we go.
1: Here, as you my soul. Peace by piece, you patiently make me whole. And you pick me up again, remind me to whom I belong. I have never been more than a child in your arms. When you are holding me, I don't have to be strong. Because I know that I am